Welcome to Grace. We're glad you guys are here. And since it's Father's Day, I thought it appropriate to start off with a few dad jokes. Since you've never heard me tell one before. My dentist offered me dentures for only a dollar. Sounded like a good deal at the time, but now I have buck teeth. I got hit on the head with a can of Coke uh, this morning, but don't worry, I'm not hurt. It was a soft drink. A cheese factory exploded in France. Debris was everywhere. I'm here all week. Actually, being a dad and being a man is really no joking matter. I've heard a lot of different graduation messages. I think the best one that I'm aware of had one statement in it, I think made it the most helpful. And that was one given by Tom Brokaw, who was a retired news anchor. He spoke at a college graduation, and he said this, Let me tell you a secret. Life is junior high. And actually, he really is correct for most people. Most people that grow older don't actually grow up. And I think this is true for a lot of men, in America, we have a country full of uninitiated guys that are stuck, developmentally stuck in adolescence, no matter how old they get. So on this Father's Day, I want us to understand what, what did God really intend for manhood to look like? What is the masculine journey supposed to be like that? Be like? I think that's important for the men in here to understand that, but I also think it's important for the women who want to understand men to understand that. So I want to go ahead and break down uh, those stages of manhood for you in just a moment. One book that I found to be the most helpful on the subject of the masculine journey is a book written by John Eldridge entitled The Way of the Wild Heart. Now his breakdown of the stages of manhood really are quite similar to many other uh, breakdowns of, that I've read about, but I think his is the most helpful and what it means for us today, whatever stage we're in. So I want to go ahead and uh, break it down. I want to give you these stages an overview first, and then we'll come back and look at some biblical examples of these stages. So to begin with, the first stage is the stage of boyhood. This is the stage really of of really becoming, you know, familiar with life around you and really, you know, have a time of wonder and exploration, a time of tree forts and comic books and popsicles and snakes and puppy dogs. But most importantly, this stage is a time of realizing that you are the beloved son, that you are the apple of your father's eye. This is a time of affirmation, a time where you know that you are prized by your father, delighted by him, that you know you are the beloved son. That's the first stage of the masculine journey. The next stage is the cowboy stage, and it starts about oh, adolescence and goes up into the early 20s. It's a time of learning the lessons uh, of the field, a time of great adventures, a time of testing, a time 
of learning how to, to work hard. The young man learns how to, how to hunt, how to throw a curveball or how to break a horse. And he gets his first car and he's got this the wide horizon of freedom and what he can do with it. It's a time of daring and danger. It's a time, most importantly, that he does learn that he has what it takes. Now, sometime in his late teens, there emerges this next phase. This is the phase of the warrior. This phase starts maybe late teens, goes well, well into the 30s, late 30s or so. This is the warrior stage, and this is when he gets a cause. He may head off to law school or to the mission field, uh, but it's where he learns to encounter evil face to face and to defeat it. The young warrior learns the rigors of discipline. He, he learns inner discipline and resolution of spirit. Now, he might join the Marines. He might become a math teacher in the inner city and battle for the hearts of young people. But he gets a mission, and it's crucial that he gets a mission. And he learns, most importantly, to battle the kingdom of darkness. He learns that passivity and masculinity are fundamentally at odds with one another. To be a man, he must learn to live with courage, to take action, to go into battle. This is typically the time also that these overlap, these stages all overlap. This is a time he becomes a lover. Now, the stage of being a lover is not mostly about a woman. He learns at this stage the way of the heart. He learns to, he's like he's awakened to the beauty of life. He discovers things like music and literature. And like young David of the Bible, he becomes a romantic and takes his spiritual life to a whole new level. In fact, service for God becomes overshadowed by intimacy with God as he becomes a lover. And then and only then, after all these stages, is he ready for the next stage, which is the stage of the king. Now, the crises, crisis of leadership that we have in our government and in many homes and businesses and in churches is largely due to this one dilemma. Men have been given power, but they're unprepared to handle it. The time of ruling really is a tremendous test of character. I mean, the king's going to be sorely tested to use his influence in humility and for the benefit of others. And by the way, what we call a midlife crisis is often a man who's come into a little bit of money and influence and he uses it to go back and to recover what he missed in other stages. So he gets a little money and he goes back to re recover what he missed as the beloved son. So what does he do? He buys himself toys. Or he, he missed what he's supposed to get in the cowboy stage. And what does he do? He uses his money to go off on adventures. Why? Because he is an uninitiated man. See, a true king comes into authority and knows that the 
privilege is not so he can arrange for his comfort, but he realizes this place of being a king, this place of ruling, is to benefit others. And finally, the last stage is the stage of the sage. And this is the man that, let's say, 70 to, to into his 90s, as long as he lives. He's now the gray-haired grandfather, great-grandfather man with a wealth of knowledge and experience whose mission now is to counsel others. So his kingdom may shrink, but his influence grows larger. His kingdom may shrink. The kids all move out, so he might move to something smaller. He may step down from his role as the president of the company or the coach of the team or the pastor of the church or whatever. He may step down, but his influence should increase. This stage here of sage is not the time just to pack up, move to Florida, and play golf. The kingdom now needs him as an elder at the gate more now than ever. His time is spent mentoring younger men, especially kings like Paul mentored Timothy. In fact, at a time in life when most men feel like their time has passed, this could be the period of his greatest contribution as a sage. Now, David in the Bible might be the definitive biblical example of the masculine journey. His life as a man is apparently worth giving our attention to because God devoted some 60 chapters of the Bible to David's life. In fact, when we are reading in our Bibles and we first read about David, we, we actually first read about him in his, the cowboy stage. He's a teenager living out in the fields, watching over the family flocks. And on the eve of his passage from cowboy to warrior, we read about David standing in the camp, of the army of Israel. Goliath is humiliating the armies of Israel with his boast. And David finally says to Saul this, 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35. David says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came, <clears throat> came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. So those experiences came during the cowboy stage. And by the way, we see how rugged and dangerous that stage can be. We also see the lessons he learned. So he could become the warrior that defeats Goliath and leads the armies of Israel. In fact, David knew that what it was like to be the beloved son. We know that he didn't miss stage one of boyhood. He learned that he was the beloved son of God. How do we know that? We know that in reading the Psalms that he wrote. He talks about, he, he, his Psalms talk about how much he knows that God loves him, is good to him, and cares for him. Now, as a warrior, of course, he, 1 Samuel 18, 7, he actually sets, you know, sets the bar for this stage. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten, tens of thousands. And, of course, he was a lover, to be sure. He knew about the life of the heart. You can just read what he writes, his poetry and the Psalms, his passion, his romance for God. All of this is seen. And, of course, he was literally a king. He was King David. The more and more you look in life, the more and more you see these stages in the masculine journey. 
In fact, we see these stages in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was obviously the beloved son. He heard his father on more than one occasion say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He knew he was the beloved son of God the Father. He's also the beloved son of his human parents. His cowboy years were spent in the carpentry shop of his father Joseph, learning how to work, how to build. He spent the warrior phase of his life. He entered into that ministry, that three-year period of intense warfare, climaxing, when, of course, when he defeats the devil on the cross and wrestles the keys of hell and death out of his hands. And, of course, Jesus is the passionate lover, wooing and winning the heart of his beloved bride. And, of course, he's king. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's a returning warrior king who will bring the final victory to his people. He'll usher in the golden heir of his kingdom when he comes again. And he's sage. He's the wonderful counselor, even today to all of us. I mean, the more and more you look in life, you see these stages. These are important stages in the development of what God wants a man to be. You see it in the life of Moses. Moses was the beloved son adopted into Pharaoh's house, raised in a life of privilege. He's hurled into the cowboy phase out in the wilderness as a rugged shepherd. Then God calls him to free his people from Pharaoh. He becomes a warrior. And then he becomes a king and a sage for the Israelites as they make their sojourn to the promised land. What I want to do this morning, men, is I want us to consider where each one of you is in the masculine journey and what God wants to do next in your life. And again, women, I I want you to really listen to because I think you'll better understand the men that are in your life as we consider the masculine journey. So let's go through them again now. Boyhood, stage one. Remember, it's a time of exploration, affirmation, wonder, But most important, it is a time where you know you're the beloved son. I try to reflect back when I think I really, really hit me growing up. In that stage of my life, I was seven years old. My father arranged for me to play in the baseball league that was just for eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds, even though I was seven. So I was the youngest kid on the team, probably the youngest kid in the league. So I didn't play as much as the other boys played in the games. And it was a game that was really a hotly contested game. I remember, and I was sitting in the dugout at the very end. I wasn't thinking I was going to get to play. I didn't know at that time that they have to play you at least one inning. So I'm in the very back of the dugout, and the game is hotly contested, and I've got to go to the bathroom. But I don't want to go ask the coach to go because I'm already the seven-year-old, and I don't want to be the guy that's got to go in the bathroom. So I thought, I can hold it. I can hold it through the whole game. And so I, I, I did my best. I made it to, it was almost, almost, right before the last inning, and I thought, I don't think I can hold it anymore. But since the game's almost over, I'll go ahead and wet my pants. <laughs> but I'll cover it up with my glove. And then when the game's over, I'll tell everybody at least I got, I'll walk out and I'll just make it to the car real fast. And no one will know that I wet my pants. So all of a sudden, it's the last inning of the game, and the coach says, Gary, you're in the game. You're up to bat. And I'm thinking, oh, no. 
I get my helmet on my bat, and I've got with these, with obviously a wet stain, I've got to go out of the dugout, and I've got to go to the on-deck batter circle where there's a fence, and all these kids are gathered watching the game. I've got to go and warm up. And they all started pointing out, I wet my pants, and they started laughing, and they started yelling it to the whole stands. He wet his pants! And I'm so humiliated. I'm just swinging that bat. Then I hear my dad say, it's all right, Gary, give it a ride. So I go up to bat there, and I don't know if I had my eyes closed. I swung as hard as I could, and I hit a home run. <laughs> and I'm running around the bases, and when I, when I got around third base, all I remember is my dad standing up in the stands going, Hey, a boy, gear! But it was at that point that I knew I was the beloved son. See, we tend to see our... You know, how we see our earthly fathers tends to impact how we see God our Father. And so many people have trouble believing that God is good and loves them because they had an earthly father that was not so good to them and did not seem to love them. And this stage is wounded when the earthly father is distant or absent or abusive. And many boys fail to really get through this stage where they, where they really learn they're the beloved son. And so they carry those same feelings that they had with their earthly father to their heavenly father. If, if, if maybe he's the same way. Maybe he doesn't really love me either. By the way, this first stage of knowing you, the beloved son, is so important. You can't just skip it. Because if you do, if you don't have that sense that I am, I am the beloved son, that God the Father loves me, if I don't have that, not just in my head, but in my heart, then the next stages can... It's going to be hard to interpret the next stages. For example, when I get to the stage of cowboy, and it's a time of testing, if I don't believe that God the Father really loves me, then those tests can feel pretty unkind. Or if I get to the next stage, the stage of warrior, this is a time for battles, right? But when the battle comes, I'm not sure that God is really for me, then when the battle gets tough, I'll think he's abandoned me. See, we have to have this bedrock foundation that our Heavenly Father sees us as His delight. Tracy and I kid about this a lot, you know. I'll call her and, and, and I'll say something like, I'm fishing, we're going to have fish tonight. And she'll say, that's great, God's really blessed you. And I'll say, I am His favorite. She'll say, no, I'm His favorite. He has my picture on his refrigerator. I'll say, no, he's got my picture in his wallet. Now, the truth is we're all His favorite. But you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. Now, this wound, if you have, if you, if you have this wound where you, don't, where you still are struggling with how God feels about you, then for you men today, I believe God's going to heal that wound today. Because you really need to have that, that heal. And by the way, a lot of what Jesus taught was driving at that one issue. What is the Father's heart like toward me? You know, the story of the prodigal son shows us what the heart of the father is like, even to a wayward son. In his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, remember what Jesus said? If your son asked you for a fish, you, won't, you wouldn't give him a snake, would you? How much more will your heavenly father give what is good to you? Because that's how he feels about you. Now, for some of you men in this room, this stage of the beloved son was interrupted or arrested but I want you to know you can't just skip over it and go on like everything's going to be okay. God wants to heal that wound. 
you must know that God the Father is for you. You are his delight. And one of the ways I think you, you can really get that into your heart, one of the things I've done is I've spent thousands of hours meditating on all the verses in the Bible that have anything to say about how God is, loves me, he's good, and he's for me. And as you meditate, it moves the truth from your head to your heart, and it is liberating. It is freeing. So that's the first stage, the story, stage of boyhood. Main thing there is I must learn I'm the beloved son. Stage two, the cowboy stage. Age maybe 13 to in the 20s. A time, again, a time of testing and development. But it's a time that that question roars to the surface. Do I have what it takes? That question needs to be answered by an older man who could look you in the eye. Whether he uses those exact words or not, that question needs to be answered. You know, I think that's, uh, that's David. He's in the field guarding the sheep, working hard, fighting off lions and bears. It was a time of physical testing. He knew that he had what it takes. He was tested. He passed the test. He can take on Goliath. The mentor that pushed me through this stage in my life was probably my basketball coach in high school. When I made the varsity team my sophomore year in high school, he couldn't remember my name. Now, I, I, we had moved there because my dad was in the Air Force and we moved a lot. All the other kids on the team had grown up. He knew all their names. He didn't know my name. He just remembered, remembered it began with H. So during practice, he started calling me Havelcheck. <laughs> now, those of you that are laughing, you know that John Havelcheck was a great player from the Boston Celtics. He was my favorite player from a long time ago. But every time he called me Havelcheck, I just sensed, he thinks I have what it takes. It's so important that we come to believe, men, that we have what it takes if we're going to develop in this masculine journey. Now, the cowboy stage is wounded for a man and needs to be healed if you don't get the experiences on the field that you need. You don't get tested like you need. You don't have an older man that looks you square in the eyes in some way, a teacher, a parent, a coach, an older friend, a mentor, and tell you in some kind of wording, you've got what it takes. See, boys who spend their whole lives in front of the TV or video games and don't get life experiences and get tested and don't have an older man speaking to their, their heart, they have what it takes, they will be wounded and they need to be healed from that wound. We also need mentors in our lives in that stage to help us interpret our failures. And we will fail. All of us will. But if we don't have anyone to help us interpret that failure, it can be a wound. Again, this is where coaches do very well. Coaches are always on their players, but they help them interpret the losses, the difficulties. That's why I think athletes tend to be good warriors in whatever they take on after athletics. Mentors are needed to encourage and help cowboys interpret events, especially their failures, and help that wound really be healed and not emasculating. The stage is also wounded if you just don't have someone to take you there. You don't have, you know, your father checked out, he was absent, uh, uninvolved, and you don't have anyone to give you work and to give, take you on adventures, and you don't have anyone to coach you or mentor you, interpret your failures, then, you know, you know, it's okay. Get back on your horse. You don't have that guy. It can be a wound. And I believe there's some in this room that you have a wound in that stage of your life. 
that God wants to heal today. God can step in and heal you this morning. And before we dismiss, you can get perspective you need from him. You can get a touch you need from him. But also, I still believe we need older men in our lives to speak these truths. To speak the truth that God loves you. And I love you. And you've got what it takes. Well, the next stage is the warrior stage. This stage happens like maybe 19 up into late 30s. This is David fighting Goliath. This is a stage where the young warrior learns not to yield to wrong, not to give in, not to give up. The warrior stage is where the young man becomes fierce. Now, a more intellectual young man might do this in a debate, or he might become an attorney or a politician, standing up for the truth, not willing to back down. Now, Jesus in his public ministry, we see the warrior We see he's undaunted, he's unstoppable, they set traps, they try to seduce him, they try to get him to back down. He does not yield, no way, he will not deter, why? He's a warrior. See, man, we we don't get to avoid this. Passivity and masculinity do not go together. No matter what the media is trying to tell men every day. There's no folding, there's no yielding, there's no refusing to engage in the next battle. That passivity thing, men, that we inherited from Adam, well, it stands in direct opposition to the warrior spirit that God wants to develop in you. The warrior who stands, takes action, does stand up for what is right. Men, we need this. We need this on the battlefield. We need it to fight for our marriages. We need it to, to uh, fight for our calling. We need it to walk with God in a world where the flow is going to be against us. We've got to be warriors. God trains us as warriors by putting us in situations where we have to fight. Now, the warrior stage is wounded when we're taught that all aggression is wrong. I read that one writer said that he helps his three-year-old build up the castle, but he doesn't let him tear it down because he wants his three-year-old to learn to build up, not tear down. And I thought, that's religious nonsense. In the ethics of a three-year-old, all he wants to know is, am I powerful? Let him tear it down. Let him explode stuff. I mean, he's going to need to learn to destroy sin. He's going to need to learn to destroy injustice. He's going to need to destroy falsehood and error, false spirits. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to build up and a time to tear down. A warrior needs a cause, and he needs a king who can help guide him in that cause. And then there's the next stage, the lover. This is where man discovers beauty. King David is the warrior poet. He writes psalms and songs and plays the harp, and he is in love with God. I mean, he knows God, he knows beauty, intimacy with God. By the way, if you don't know God as lover, I don't know how a man can avoid sexual temptation. I don't think there's a way out of pornography addiction for many until they discover something richer. Discipline is helpful, but there's something better than discipline, and that's romance. David was a great lover, lover of God. This is where man becomes, man becomes a lover. He's not a consumer. You don't go to your wife and take sex. You, you give her love, and it becomes romance. Very different. You lavish love upon your wife, you win her heart. 
So men, you need to become a lover in order to become a good king. Why? Because if you don't become a lover before you become king, then those who are subject to you in any way, you will tend to run roughshod right over them. And then finally we get to the stage of king. That's like in the 40s into, uh, into like the early 70s, the time of ruling. See, now you've been initiated as a man to the point where you can be entrusted with power. Again, that's the great question of, the, of a masculine initiation is, when can you entrust a man with power? The answer is only after you become the beloved son and you know you have what it takes and you've been trained and tested in the warrior stage and you are a lover of people and God. Then you can be entrusted with power or otherwise you will do great damage. The power that you have. We've all seen that. We've seen men acting as bad kings with their in their home and with their families. See, sometimes a man will move into this stage of being a king. He gets a little money, a little influence, and he spends it all on making himself more comfortable. And that's not what that stage is for. That stage is, of the king is not about that. The stage of king is realizing my life is now for others, not for myself. That's where David, when he became king, <clears throat> it says in Samuel that, he realized that God exalted him to king for the sake of the people of Israel. See, men, you don't get power and influence and position for yourself. It's not for you. It's for others. Now, if a king has not been the beloved son, then he spends all his time and money buying toys. If he has not been the cowboy who knows what he has what it takes and he spends his time all on adventures and taking trips and recreational hobbies. If he wasn't a warrior, what does he do? If he wasn't a warrior before he becomes king, then he picks a fight to prove he's tough. Weak kings abusing others, trying to get a sense of strength. If he wasn't a lover, then what does he do when he becomes king? He buys himself a trophy wife. He dumps the one who gave her life to him, goes off and gets another woman. So here's the thing, men. If you're not taking in beauty and God and nature and your wife and art and music, you're not taking in beauty, you'll be taken out by beauty because your soul craves beauty. Then beauty comes along one day and you're starving and that's why you find her irresistible. The king wills his power for the sake of others, not himself. This is key. Now, the biggest wound, I believe, for the king is betrayal. David and Absalom are a good example of that. And the, that betrayal can make a king, even a good king, no, want, no, more, no, no longer want to be king. I've seen that happen with a lot of pastors. That's why a king needs a sage in his life to help them process betrayal, because betrayal will come. And the final stage, the stage of sage, let's say 70 to, to the 90s, the Lord gives him long life. This is the stage where you give counsel and wisdom. Again, your kingdom may be getting smaller, your influence is getting bigger. This is not the time, older men in this room, to check out and live for yourself. We desperately need sages to counsel and mentor. Now, the sage, his relationship with God is that of a friend. 
This is a time in his life where he has deep communion with God, a conversational intimacy with God. The way you get wounded in the last stage, the stage of sage, is where you are dismissed as yesterday's man. And you're treated like you have nothing to offer when you have everything to offer. Here's where it gets messy as we get ready to close. Men, you can't just skip a step and go on. If you have moved on past that, you need to get the healing from those past steps if you're going to be what God wants you to be in these last stages, particularly these first two. These first two important questions. You've got to know that you're the beloved son of God. No matter how your earthly father treated, you've got to know that you're the beloved son of your heavenly father. You've got to know it. Secondly, you've got to know. Cowboy says, you've got to know you have what it takes. You've got to know it. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here as we get ready to close. And this closing song is going to be a ministry time. Let me tell you how this can work. Now, in order for it to work this way, we've got, you got, we've got to be a family right now. We've got to be real. We've got to be humble. Put off all pride right now. But I believe what God wants to do in this closing, I think particularly with men somewhere between your, from your late teens until your early 40s that are here, and you know that one of these first two steps, either not really knowing you're the, the light of your Father in heaven, that you're the beloved Son, or not knowing that you have what it takes, no one's ever looked you in the eye and told you that. And as we sing this last song, it's entitled Good, Good Father. And as we do this last song, I'm asking you young men who know you need healing in one of these first two wounds to come up, just to come up, stand just facing me, just stand right here. I'm asking the older men in this congregation during this closing song to come up and face these men. Put your hand on their shoulders. Speak the truth to them that God loves them and then tell them you have what it takes. God is going to do something supernatural this morning when this happens. So young men, you know, I'm again from your late teens to early 40s. If, if you, you need this today, don't walk out with that wound. You can leave that wound right here and be healed. Watch God heal, heal some, some wounds this first service right here. So let's all stand. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And during this song, guys, I know there's a, I know there's a tendency. I don't want to get out of my chair. I don't want to walk up there. I'm embarrassed. Forget about all that. Get healed today. Get healed today. And the older men, don't let them stand up here very long without coming and join them. Standing before them. I'm praying. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name. To you make us a safe place right now where your, hope, where your spirit can work through older men releasing younger men into what you have for them on this masculine journey. They can be all you want them to be. So I pray, Lord, there would be a, just a ministry of revelation how much you love them today as, as people speak into their lives and older men speak into them. And Lord, I pray too there would be a real release, Lord, of the blessing of knowing they have what it takes. Those of you that came up here, I want you to step back a little bit because I want these older men to face you. Step back a little bit. You older guys, come and face these younger guys. Face them. Speak into them. Speak into them, right? And look right and begin to speak to them. Right here. Ron, come around right here. Any other guys? Come on, guys. This is a, this is a day to get healed, guys. Any other young men? Come up here. Just come stand right here if you need to. 
Need some older godly men. Get up here, guys. We need y'all. Come up here. Need some more men up here. Guys, come on. Pray for him down here. Pray for him. Pray for him. Speak to him, man. Just speak to him right now. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. You are the beloved son. You're loved by God. You're loved by God. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. We thank you for what you're doing by your spirit. We pray, Lord, for complete healing for every wound, Lord. Every father wound be healed in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray your blessing on all of the dads here today, your blessing on every gathering, every phone call, text, email. We pray your blessing. We pray your blessing on every dad represented by everybody in this room. That they're blessed today. And we thank you that you're a good, good father. And we pray in Jesus' name.